Thank you for listening to CG Life with Steve Kortz. It's my hope that today's message will help you find and live the extraordinary life Jesus gives. After listening to this podcast, I'd like to invite you to connect with me on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram for more updates and resources. I'm really, really anticipating all that God's going to do through this series. Already this week, I've had uh, the opportunity to hear several stories coming out of uh, our study from last week of people who have been practicing the very principle of, of saying to God, here is, here is my life. Here is my need. I trust you. And God working and using that in the lives of people. I cannot wait to see how God's going to use today's message as today we're going to look together at the power of prayer. We looked last week at the purpose of prayer. But today we want to look together specifically at the power of prayer, at what prayer can actually do and what we can expect from God when we pray, when we answer His call to ask. And from Old Testament to New Testament, God says, ask and ask and ask. God says explicitly, call to me and I will answer you. I'll show you great and mighty things that you don't know, that you don't understand, you can't imagine. So ask, 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 ask. Now I want to say right from the very beginning that uh, the whole subject of the power of prayer is a problematic one. It's a challenge for a lot of us. It's an issue for a lot of those of us who are followers of Jesus. I recall several years ago, one believer shared with me his struggle with prayer. He said, and I quote, I have trouble praying because of losing my wife to a year and a half fight with cancer. Where all of my thousands of prayers for her were answered no, except my last one when I finally prayed that he would take her quickly. Pastor, he said, I have the feeling that God is going to do what he wants no matter my prayers. And he isn't alone in a survey we did of prayer concerns taken from uh, among our own people. Others asked similar questions and had similar concerns. They said things like this, why does God require that we pray for things he could do on his own? Why bother to pray when Christ is in control anyway? If God is all-knowing and his ways are always right, why do we ask of him through prayer? Isn't his will going to be accomplished any, anyway? And then this one particular lady, I think she, she captured the heart of it. She said, it's not like we're going to change his mind, are we? It's not like we're going to change God's mind. Are we? Is there a chance? Is there a possibility? All of this gets to the very heart of the issue for, for many of us. If God already knows what will happen, if God already knows our needs, if God has already ordained all things so that his plan and his purpose and his promises are undefeatable, can prayer change God's mind and what he's doing. In other words, does prayer at the end of the day ever really make any difference? Now, someone will say, ah, but prayer changes me. It does. But does prayer change things is the question. So we want to ask fundamentally, what can prayer do. And to help us arrive at a biblical answer, I want you to join me in the Old Testament book of Exodus today. 
Exodus chapter 32. We'll be looking at verses 7 and following, Exodus chapter 32. You'll find a, a Bible. If you don't have a Bible with you, you'll find one provided for you in the back of the chair in front of you on a rack there. You'll find Exodus 32 on page 72. 72. What, where I'm bringing you today is to a, a, a fairly familiar passage. It's the uh, passage where Moses meets God on Mount Sinai. He's, God is giving to Moses his covenant expectations for, for his people. He's led his people out of slavery, out of the land of Egypt, crossed the Red Sea, brought them into this desert place. They are now there uh, around the people of Israel, are gathered around Mount Sinai. Uh, Moses has been welcomed up to the top of Mount Sinai where God has said he's going to meet him. He's giving him his covenant expectations. Uh, Moses will eventually come back with two tablets of stone with the Ten Commandments on them, summarizing, if you will, those covenant expectations. While uh, Moses is there with God, the uh, Scripture records that the, the people who are left without his leadership uh, take the, the issue into their own hands. They find themselves in a desert, in, in a tough situation. They decide they want to go back into their slavery. They, in, their, in their thinking, in their kind of sideways way of thinking, they decide the slavery with the Egyptians is better than, than the desert with God and with Moses. And so what they do effectively is they create their own God. They melt down all their gold. They create an idol calf, and uh, they begin to worship this idol calf. They do what human beings always do, and that is this. We always love to substitute a God of our own creation for the living God because the God of our own creation we can control, the living God we can't. We can't. We don't like a God we can't control. We don't like a God that we can't barter with. We don't like a God that we can't manipulate. And the, and the living God you can't barter with, you can't manipulate. We don't like him when it's so much, but boy, the gods of our own making, the gods that... Uh, will uh, let us work real hard and then give us what we want, the transactional gods. We like them. We'd, we'd rather have a transactional God than a relational God because we can't control him. And uh, we struggle with that. That's where, where they were. That's what they're doing. As Moses is meeting with, uh, with God on the mountain, God reports to him, tells him what, what's happening, and uh, that the people are abandoning their commitment to be faithful. What happens is a fascinating conversation between Moses and God and uh, that shows us three essential realities when it comes to prayer. And my, my prayer is, as we make our way through this passage, is that you're going to step away today with a greater confidence uh, in the power of prayer. I, I'm, going to, I'm going to dare you to, to actually begin to pray Expecting God to act when we're done today. So fair warning, fair warning. I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to challenge you to really pray today. And uh, I'm looking forward to seeing what God's going to do. Three things that this passage shows us. First of all, it shows us the privilege of prayer. Then shows us the prospect of prayer. And then shows us the power of prayer privilege of it, the prospect or the opportunity of it, and finally, the power of prayer. All coming out of Moses' encounter with God, Moses' prayer time, if you will, with God on Mount Sinai. First, I want you to see with me in verses 7 through 10, the privilege, the high privilege of prayer. 
And the Lord said to Moses, verse 7, go down. Remember, they're up on the mountain. Moses is meeting God. God's giving him the report of what the people are doing. He says, go down for your people whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. I like that. They're your people, Moses. Yours. You brought them out. I like that. Oh, my goodness, goodness, goodness. They have turned aside, verse 8, quickly out of the way that I have commanded them. They've made for themselves a golden calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, these are your gods, O Israel, who you brought up out of the land of Egypt. They've made their own false god. And the Lord said to Moses, I've seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked, in other words, stubborn people. Now, therefore, let me alone, Moses. Leave me be, Moses, that my wrath may burn hot against them and I may consume them, that is, destroy them completely, in order that I may make a great nation out of you. I'm, I'm going to set these people aside, and uh, here's my, my plan now. I'm going to make a great nation out of you. Now, God has a right to be angry here, no doubt, to punish and even destroy Israel because of this great sin, no greater sin can you, can you commit than that of exchanging the living God with a false God. They've broken their solemn covenant commitment of faithfulness to him. Uh, they know the, the punishment he promised if they did. God set Israel apart to be a holy nation for himself. He promised to make them great, but then even more, he promised to make them a great blessing to the world. But God is saying here, if the majority won't receive my promise for them, I can lay down another approach and still accomplish my plan to bless the world by taking you, Moses, and making a new nation out of you. Now, I want you to notice something with me very uh, interesting here in this passage. God anticipates that Moses is not going to like his decision in verse 10. And so he says, let me alone, or leave me be, or don't get in my way, or don't try to stop me. I've got a plan. Don't try to stop me. But this raises a fascinating question. How can Moses, a mere man, Stop God. How can Moses, a mere man, interfere with the God of the universe? How is that possible? There's something here that we must not miss, and it is this. By God's very choice, Moses has been given a great privilege. What's the privilege? Moses, watch now, listen, listen. Moses has been given the great privilege of partnering with God by God's choice and by God's design of partnering with God in what he's doing in the world in the, in the here and now of his present day. Moses has been given the high privilege of partnering with God in all that he's doing in the here and now in, the present day, in his present day. He's been given this privilege. It's not one that he earned for himself. It's one that God gave him, but he has this privilege. God knows that he has this privilege. Now, that means that God treats Moses like a partner in his work in this world, a very, very junior partner to be sure, 
but a partner nonetheless. And he, he, he's laying out for Moses a new approach to fulfilling his plan to use a people of his own to bring blessing to the world and save it and heal it. And so notice with me here in our passage, God sets up his, his partner Moses with an opportunity to do three things. Uh, first, to, to, uh, it gives him the opportunity to know intimately who he is. He gives him the opportunity to know what he is about. And he gives him an opportunity to be part of the work he's doing in the world. This partnership that Moses has comes out of an intimate relationship with God that he's come to have by God's grace. Uh, later, Exodus 33 will say that the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. And when God says, let me be about this, don't try to stop me, what he's doing is a fascinating thing. He's acknowledging Moses' relationship and the privilege that Moses has given him to partner with him in all that he's doing. He said, here's what I'm getting ready to do. Now, don't you try to stop me. And it's almost as if you can hear God pausing and say, all right, what you going to do, Moses? What you going to do? I'm going to wipe these people from the face of the earth, and then uh, I'm going to use you to launch a new nation. Well, it's entirely likely that Moses could have gone, you know what? I'm sick and tired of them too. They complain all the time. They're never happy. And I don't know why you called them my people. They're really your people, and I didn't really lead them out of that mess. You did. And if you're thinking it's a good idea just to kind of wipe the slate clean and start all over again, well, have at it. Let them have it. I'm willing to start a new nation. You're willing to, you're willing to, you want to go that route? Sounds great. Well, Moses, I don't know. Have you not paid any attention to his kids? You know, your kids always act like your spouse. It just never turns out well. <laughs> At least that's what we think. But just start a new nation through me? All right. I, I, I could see, I could conceive of Moses actually doing that. He doesn't do that. He doesn't do that. You see, you see God kind of hanging back saying, all right, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? I'm giving you the privilege. Watch, 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 watch. I'm giving you the privilege of speaking into my plans. Don't you try to stop me, Moses. Don't get in my way, Moses. Notice next, see with me, the prospect of prayer. He has this high privilege. It comes with an opportunity. The Scripture shows us in verses 11 to 13 what God knew Moses would do, Moses does. The Scripture says, verse 11, but God, or but Moses rather, implored the Lord as God. He pleads with God in the context of this relationship and this privilege. And he says, Oh Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people, whom you've brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say, with evil intent, he did bring them out to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Ah, here is a moment. Here's a rare opportunity Moses must not miss. And so he prays, Lord, turn from your burning anger and relent from this disaster against your people. The word for relent there conveys the notion of a change of mind, a decision to change direction. Here is little 
Moses speaking to the sovereign God of the universe, and he says to him, relent, change direction. Moses says, please stop being angry. And this is vital. Change your mind. Finally, Moses says, verse 13, Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants to whom you swore by your own self, and said to them, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven. And all this land that I have promised I will give to your offspring, and they will inherit it forever. Now what is Moses doing here? He's asking. He's asking. He's asking. He's building a case for a different response to this situation using prayer. First, he asks, why, why should you be so angry with your people that you want to destroy them and start over after you've done so much for them? You've already got so much invested in them. Why, why start over, which is a, a magnanimous thing for Moses to do. This is a decision he might regret later, probably did. But why would you start over? And then he says, why let the Egyptians say you tricked your people and led them out with evil intent just to kill them? And finally, he says, won't you remember the patriarchs and your promise? Don't, don't focus on the unfaithful things these people have done, but give attention to the faithful things their forefathers had done. Com complete your promise using even these unfaithful people for the sake of, of, of their faithful forefathers and foremothers. Do that. Now notice exactly, though, how Moses pleads his case with God. This is important. His example shows us how, how it is we can ask God in prayer for needs we have and for needs we see and how we can do it effectively. Notice in verse 11, we see that we can, like Moses, plead with God on the basis of his power. Notice what Moses does here. He sees that the greatness of the power God displayed in the Exodus is sufficient to any need. He also sees that in this case, it would be diminished in the eyes of men if God carries out his plan. God brought his people out of Egypt with power, but it could appear that he was unable to keep them safe. This could give the impression that God's power is limited, and Moses, he knows better. and So he pleads with God on the basis of his power to display it in a different way. Oh, he says, look, 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 I know, I know, you can display your power and destroy your people. You could do that. But I know the, the sufficiency of your power. I know the unlimited quality of your power. And as hard as it would be for me to reform or restore these people, I'm asking you to use your power to restore and reform these people who have gone so far in the wrong direction. You've got the power to destroy. But you've also got the power to restore. This I believe, and so I'm praying, relent. Relent. Change your mind. In verse 12, we see that uh, we can, like Moses, not only plead with God on the basis of his power, but plead with him on the basis of his person or his character. Moses knows to whom he is praying. But with this new plan of God, the Egyptians could say that God let his people out with this evil motive of killing them and give the impression that somehow the God of the universe is evil. Moses knows who this God is and what he's really like, and he knows his character is altogether good. And he wants this God 
to be honored even when his people have dishonored themselves. And so Moses, as he is praying, he's strategizing and he's saying, now what is the, what is the, the, the best step forward to honor God and for God to be honored among the nations? And so he pleads for God to show himself as he is in this situation. He pleads with God on the basis of his person. Now let me pause and say, God is a God of justice. He could very easily and very well uh, taken his people completely out and been right in doing that. He is a God of justice. He is a God of consequences. That is part of who he is. But what Moses is doing is he's appealing to God to show that side of himself that is expressive of his grace and of his goodness. Oh, yes, Lord, you could be and demonstrate justice, and you could be just because you are just. But here's what I'm praying for. Rather than displaying your justice, I'm praying that you will display your mercy and your grace and your goodness. Relent. Show your power and restore. Relent. Show the grace and the mercy of your character. Finally, he pleads with God on the basis of his promises. Moses says effectively, listen, Father, you've already kept part of your promise by allowing the descendants of Abraham to multiply to be a million strong. So go go the rest of the way and keep your promise with your original plan rather than with a new one. Give these people another chance to enter the land you promised. Show yourself to be a merciful, faithful, promise-keeping God, even to the unfaithful. Here's what you said. You're a God who keeps his word. So go on and do what you promised in the original way you said you'd do it. Demonstrate your power. Show your character. Fulfill your promises. I have a question for you. Why does he go to all this trouble? Why does he go to all of this trouble? What this passage shows us is that Moses understands the real prospect of prayer, the real opportunity that prayer brings every time we come, as Hebrews uh, describes it, before the throne of grace. Moses knows that because he has the privilege of access to God as his child and as his partner in his work, he also has a direct opportunity to influence God's actions. He has an opportunity to do what few can do. He has the opportunity of influence. And that is why rather than go down to see what God's people have done and act himself, he prays. As a partner in God's ultimate plan and purpose, he pleads with God on behalf of God's honor and his glory before the nations to take a different course. He's leveraging his relationship with influence. But here's what I want you to see. I I don't want you to miss this. Watch, 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 watch. When you and I pray, we're very intent on moving the hands of God. And that's how we get into this uh, 
this habit, this pattern, this practice of transactional prayer where we're saying, God, I'll give you this or you'll give me something back because I need this. We said last, last week, God is not an ATM machine. You can't punch, put the card in, punch in the right code, and get what you want out of him. That's not how God works. That prayer is not transactional. Prayer is relational. The ultimate purpose of prayer is to engage in fellowship with the living God. Now, I want you to see that in response, though, to God's plea and his invitation constantly from Old Testament to New Testament to ask, Moses, understanding both his privilege and the possibilities of prayer, the potential of prayer, the opportunity of prayer, he doesn't aim, watch, he doesn't aim for the hands of God. He doesn't start with, God, I need this, do this. He didn't start there. Rather than aiming, watch now, watch now, at the hands of God, he aims somewhere else. He says, God, I'm concerned about your honor. He says, I'm concerned about your glory. I'm concerned about the way others see. And, I, and I'm all in as to your plan. And I want to see your plan executed. I want, to, I want to see you bring healing to the nations. I want to see you bring healing to the world through your chosen people, Israel. I want to see you do this. My heart is for you. My heart is with you, God. And as your very junior partner, Here's what I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you to change your mind. I'm asking you on the basis of my love for you and, and my knowledge of you and the kind of God that you are and the grand plan you have for this world. I'm appealing to you to relent. But watch, 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 watch. He doesn't go after God's hands first. He goes after God's heart. goes after God's heart. Because watch this. God's heart. Was a heart for people. Even when they mess up. And Moses knew that. God's heart was a heart for those atrocious Egyptians who having seen the great power of God on behalf of his people might misunderstand the use of that power. He knew God had a heart for the Egyptians and that part of God's heart and desire was that even the, the Egyptians would find healing and restoration. God has a heart for people. So when Moses is praying, strategically he sees he has the privilege of stamping into the presence of Almighty God, of coming before the throne of grace, but he also sees that that gift of prayer that comes with a privilege comes with this extraordinary opportunity, the possibility of influencing God in that moment, and he does it by appealing to his heart. 
Can I give you one of the greatest secrets there is in prayer? You taking notes? Write this down. You're not taking notes? I don't, I don't know how to help you. When it comes to prayer, start with the heart. It's the heart of God that ultimately moves the hands of God. And when your prayers are always, God, give me, do this, do that, and you don't factor in who He is, what He wants, what He's promised, what he's like, what he's about. You're going to be praying all over the map, outside of his will, around his will. You'll never be connecting. Do you want to see power in your praying? Then it's time to abandon these stale old prayers where we're offering up to God all of these requests, do this, do that, I need this, I need that. These stale old prayers that appeal directly to his hands when our God is a God who has a powerful character whose heart leans into people, not away from them. Our God is a God who has a plan and a purpose he will not abandon. If we're going to pray with power, we've got to lean into his heart and say, God, what I want is your glory. I want to see you glorified. I want to see you magnified. And I want to see your heart for people honored. When we begin to appeal first to his heart, inevitably we will find we are moving his hands. Does that make sense to you? But we got to be done. Who likes stale cake? Who likes stale bread? Who thinks God likes stale old prayers where you're praying the same thing every day? You've been praying for that, for that broken relationship, but you've been praying for it in a heartless fashion. Fix this, do that, take that step. Mm -mm, mm. No, 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 no. Go straight to his heart. Go to his heart. Go to his heart. Go to his heart. Moses seeks to touch the heart of God with love for God, love for the cause of God. And as a result of that, he pleads to the power of God, the person of God, the promises of God on behalf of the people of God and the needs that he sees. And the great prospect or the great opportunity of prayer is this prospect, this opportunity, watch now, to touch and to influence the very heart of God. Finally, see with me the power of prayer. Captured in one verse, verse 14. Do you see it? 
And the Lord, the scripture says, relented. Relented from the disaster that he had spoken of bringing on his people. The word there, relented, means he changed his mind. He changed his course. Because of Moses' prayer, God lets the people live. The sovereign God of the universe changes his mind, changes his direction. But immediately, I hope there are some in this room who are thinking, but that doesn't line up with what the Scripture says elsewhere. How, are, how, how am I to understand this when, when the Bible tells us that God doesn't change? How are we to understand this when God says elsewhere things like in Malachi 3, for I, the Lord, do not change? How are we to understand it when the New Testament asserts every good gift and every perfect gift comes from the Father above with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change? How are we supposed to put these two truths together? Well, it's really not that hard. Let me show you why. Essentially, the Bible tells us that we're to understand that God is unchanging in three very specific ways. First of all, God is unchanging in who he is. He is perfectly good, and that never changes. That never changes. When I wake up in the morning tomorrow morning, God will be good. If I get bad news tomorrow afternoon, God will be good. If I experience a tragedy on Thursday, God will be good. If I experience an unexpected blessing on Friday, God is still good. I've taught you over the years the danger of trying to understand your God through your circumstances and the power of understanding your God or your circumstances through who your God is. You can't read who your God is in terms of how your day is going or the turn your life is taken. Your God is never changing. He is always good. And when you're having a bad day, he's good. When you're facing cancer, he's good. When you've lost a loved one, he's good. When you get a promotion you didn't expect, he's good. And he's just as good as he always was and just as good as he always will be. He's good. That never changes. Oh, I know, I know, I know. I've had those seasons too. Where it seemed like the goodness of God was nowhere to be found. Or that the supply had stopped. I know, I know, I know. been in those seasons. But on the other side, I found out you had never really changed. Some of the hardest things he brought into my life are some of the greatest gifts he ever gave me. 
couldn't see the goodness for the pain. That didn't mean the goodness wasn't there. He never changes. Now, see there, I just preached another sermon right in the middle of that sermon. And if I don't stop, I'm going to keep going, and we're going to run out of time. He's unchanging in who he is. He's unchanging in what he's about. His plan is to redeem a people for himself from all the nations, tribes, and tongues of the earth. Boys, girls, moms, dads, families, communities, cities. That is his plan. That is his purpose. He's bringing restoration to broken lives. That never changes. He never changes in what he's promised. His promises are always good. They're always yes and amen, and they're always in Christ, and they are never going away. Every promise God ever made is a good promise. Somebody say amen. All right. God never changes in who he is and what he's about and what he has promised. But while God's person and purposes and promises stand, God can and does change his course of action in the here and now. Sometimes doing what he might not otherwise have done and sometimes not doing what he had intended at other times, all in response to the prayers of his people. We can say then that while the prospect of prayer is to touch the heart of God, the power of prayer is to move the hand of God. And that means when I really and truly begin to pray and I'm pursuing the heart of God, I'm praying according to His person, I'm praying according to His purpose, I'm praying according to His promises. I have every reason and I have every right to expect that God is going to move in answer to that prayer. I know I'm in a good, I'm in a good place when I'm praying according to those practices and those principles and I'm living then expectantly watching for him to work and watching to him, for him to move, all the while saying, Lord, here is my life, here is my need. And what was the third part? What was the third part? I trust you. Just a pop quiz from last week. Did well. So Moses' encounter with God teaches us that by God's own choice and God's own design, God brings about remarkable change in the world in response to the prayers of his people in partnership with him. And so we learn from this passage three things. We learn first that the high privilege of prayer is partnership with a sovereign God in the work that he's doing in this world. Prayer is work, but it is a privileged work. And every time we see a need, every time we experience a need, we are given the high, holy privilege of entering into whatever it is God is doing in the midst of that need, first and foremost, by way of prayer. Secondly, the ongoing prospect of prayer is influence with God in the ways that he works in this world. When one of his children comes before him, 
pleading his power, pleading his purpose, pleading his promises. Heart of the Father leans in to that prayer. Sometimes I wonder if we realize the, the influence that we have. This privilege we have to enter into his presence that... See, I, I, you know... We, we have heard so much that God loves us. We don't even know what that means anymore. It's like the cheapest to every, every church that's got a sign is going to put God loves you on it. We've heard that so much. We, we don't, it doesn't grab us. It, do, it doesn't move us. It doesn't motivate us. And, and I'm including me in this. It, it's a problem. <sighs> if we could only see. When we come into the presence of God as His children in Christ, the influence we have because of His love for us. We'd be spreading out a lot more needs before him. We'd be doing a lot more asking. Third thing we learn here is not only about the high privilege and the ongoing prospect of prayer, that influence that we have with God and the ways that he works in this world, but we learn the great power of prayer is to unleash the power of God. Prayer offered in relationship and partnership touch the heart and move the hands of God. They can, be, they can move the hands of God in ways they wouldn't be moved otherwise. And this means that when we fail to ask, we deprive ourselves of what God would otherwise give to us. James says to God's people that whenever you have or see a need that goes unmet, you have not because either you've asked for the right things for the wrong reasons or simply because you failed to ask. He says you have not because you ask not. And that is why Moses and Jesus himself, the very Son of God, prayed and prayed persistently and prayed as if their prayers made a difference. It is because prayers do. God can and will and always has acted independently of his people in this world. He moves and he acts as he chooses to do. But he also, by his own choice and by his own design, act in cooperation with us as we choose to pray. And so to our question, what can prayer do, comes this answer. E.M. Bounds was right. Prayer can do anything God can do because prayer can touch the heart and move the hands of God. Touch his heart. Move his hands. 
Can I give you a great formula for prayer? No, you don't want it. I won't give it to you. I'll save it for the next service. Anybody like a great formula for prayer? Okay, great. All 58 of you. Good. Good. It's very simple. Touch his heart. Move his hands. Touch his heart. Move his hands. Touch his heart. Move his hands. Your prayer concerning any situation can be part of creating a new situation by changing it, by partnering with God and pleading with the heart of God like Moses did. And when you ask this way, God answers and God acts. Now, I will tell you, God doesn't always answer with the answer you want. He doesn't always act in the ways you can see, but he does act. He does answer in ways that are best. And that is why Jesus says boldly, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Done God's way. But it will be done. If I were to take you to my house this morning, I could pull out a couple of boxes of prayer journals. They go way back. I could pull out just about any journal and open it up and show you a list of things that years ago I was praying for. I love to do it from time to time because it proves to me again and again the power of prayer. So many times in the past, And it continues into the present. So many times in the past, I've been praying over over an issue, over a matter, something breaking my heart, weighing me down, turning my world upside down, or just bothering me. Or a need that I saw in somebody else that I knew I couldn't fix or change, that only God was going to be able to fix or change, give them new life. Restore their hearts to Him, whatever. So many times when I've been praying through a list like that, and as I prayed, it it has felt as if God were saying to me with every prayer, no, and no, and no, and Steve, you're going to have to wait on that one, and you're going to have to wait on that one, and you're going to have to wait on that one, and you're going to have to wait on that one, and you have to wait on that one, and no, and no, and wait on that one, and no, and wait on that one, and we'll see. God ever tell you we'll see? <laughs> there have been times after my prayer time with the Father, I've come away and thought to myself in a way that maybe wasn't the best thing. Oh, that was a blessed time. That was a blessed prayer time. No, 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 and wait, 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 wait. You know what I really wanted, right? I wanted to hear yes. I wanted to hear yes right now. I wanted heaven to come down in glory to fill my soul. I wanted to see God work and move right away. That's what I wanted to see. Very rarely has that ever happened. When I pull some of those journals out now, I can look at virtually any prayer list. I can remember where I was and what I was facing or what somebody else was facing. And the amazing thing is that so many of those asks today 
that were no's yesterday have become yeses for eternity. And over and over and over and over again, God took those things that I felt were, were no's and weights and he's turned them to yes. And I look at some of those things and I can remember praying over some of those items thinking, this is impossible, this is impossible, this is impossible, this is impossible. God, I believe, help my unbelief, this is impossible. And I look back on my list now and the impossible has become real. <laughs> And sometimes I look at my list and God said no and it's still no today and I break out into thanksgiving and I say, God, thank you. Thank you for taking that no and turning it into a yes in your own way. You looked at me and you said, Steve, yes, I love you. No, you can't have that. Yes, I love you. No, you can't have that. And I was going, if you love me, you'll say yes. Oh, no. You can't see what I see. I'm saving you from so much trouble. I love you. Yes, I love you. I love you. No. And I mean it. And he probably told me to stop asking. I didn't hear him. Now, I'll grant you that there are some things on those lists that are still wait. But what i found is that even in the waiting, God still gives me what is best. He, he never failed in that. Waiting. I'm going to tell you one thing, though, that I, uh, and I want you to hear me say it. I've learned. I absolutely refuse. To let God's nose in the present keep me from seeking his yeses all at the same time. Just because God has said to me no and wait is never a good reason to stop praying and pleading with him. Pleading his person and his promises and his purposes. See, I, when I die... I don't want my epitaph to read. He could have had, but he never asked. He could have seen me work, but he never dared ask. I'd rather my epitaph read, he prayed, God moved. He prayed, touched the heart of God, and moved the hands of God. I'm not going to let God's nose keep me from pursuing his yeses. Some of you, you're a follower of Jesus. You have the privilege of prayer. You've got the prospect of influence. And the power of God is behind the praying. And somewhere along the line, you've let a no shut you down. You've let a weight wear you out. And you've stopped praying. And the world hasn't changed. And you think it's God's fault. I don't think it is. 
There's not a person in this room who doesn't have a need, a hurt, a burden, a worry. It doesn't need to be before the throne of, God, of grace. Some of you, even now, you aren't really sure that if you began to pray the way Moses did, that God would begin to move. So, okay. Why don't you and I, why don't you and I, why don't we just try it? You got a card when you came in. Would you pull that card out? I'm going to give you a 30-day challenge. I'm going to give you a 30-day, I'm going to give you a 30-day challenge. You see the instructions on one side. Make a focused list of two to three needs you have or that you see around you that only God can meet. I'm talking about the heavy things, things that you're carrying around for others or, or even for yourself. I want to challenge you for the next 30 days to set a specific time daily to lay these needs before the Lord in prayer, saying, Father, here's my life. Here are these needs I have or see. I trust you. Then name them. Unpack them before the Lord. Plead his power. Plead his person. Find and plead a promise. To the best of your ability, you don't have to be a pastor to be able to do this. Don't worry about doing it perfectly. Don't worry about doing it perfectly right. Pray. Just pray. Thirdly, begin to watch continually for God to begin to move and act in response to those 30 days of prayer. He will. Watch. See, I dare you. There's something God wants to do in your life. Something God wants to do in the life of someone near you. He wants you to partner with Him in that. Flip your card over. You've got a space for three. What's your three? What's your three? You know, I knew when I did this, there would be some people who won't do, do this, and I'm, I'm good with that. I'm good with that. I get it. But there are some people who are going to pick up this 30-day challenge and are going to discover the extraordinary power of God at work in their lives. I'm doing this for you. Maybe you're so desperate that you're finally at a point where you're really ready to pray. Maybe you've got an attitude in your heart and mind that says, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. I don't know. You say, I'm going to do this because, God, I want to see what power you have. There's something God has for you that will only come to you. Something God has for others near you that will only come to you as you begin to pray like Moses prayed. How many of you have got one? How many of you got two? How many of you got three?
that we got some of three. Take a moment. Write it down. Fold it in half. You got 30 days. Watch God work. I dare you. Father, in this place, we see, we know our privilege perhaps better than we've seen it or known it in a long time. Of entering into your throne room, of coming before the throne of grace, of pleading, of influencing your heart and power of moving your hands, Father. Forgive us when we've ignored the privilege, the prospects, and the power. And grant us, Lord God, I pray, sheer joy of discovering that you are a God who acts in response to the prayers of your people. pray, Lord God, that from today there would be men and women, boys and girls who would find Christ, that from today there would be marriages healed, that from today impossible situations would become real, that from today you would rise up, raise up among us men and women who know, believe, and practice the privilege, the prospect, and the power of prayer. Nothing that matters happens without it. Move among us. Lord God, I pray. All God's people said, Amen. All right, we're done. Go with His grace. Go praying. There's a world to change and a world to touch. He made you a partner in it. God bless you. I love you. Thanks for joining me today. If you enjoy these podcasts, take a moment to rate and review CG Life with Steve Kortz. My prayer is that God will continue to inspire and challenge you in Christ as week by week we apply the gospel faith to real life.